It's the servant psalm of the Lord, and we actually are going to start this where the song begins in Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13, we'll continue down through the chapter, through the full chapter of Isaiah 53. Now hear the word of our great God. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonied at, his, at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For it shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. The transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the Word of God. Our gracious Father, we ask that the Spirit of God would open up Your Word to us this day and illuminate the truth. And with the truth that we may know, it would set us free. Give us a vision for the glorious living King of heaven and of earth. And in Him may we find our satisfaction, our delight, and our purpose for life. And we pray this in His name. Amen. 
You may be seated. As we navigate through life in this very unusual time, and we try to make sense of the world around us, we need to be reminded that we live in a fallen world. But it is a world that God loves, in a world that He came to save. And that salvation comes through His sufferings, and also through ours. On this Palm Sunday, we are reminded of the sufferings of the world all around us in a very acute way. We have a virus that we've esteemed out of control, unharnessed and unleashed. But the fact is, our God is in control, and He loves this world deeply. And He has set boundaries on the coronavirus that cannot be passed. We have a little baby girl that was born to us this week in the midst of this viral chaos. A little girl with a heart problem that appears beyond our control. The fact is, it is part of God's plan for her and for us and for this fallen world. And as we look to God once again for Him to answer us when we cry out to Him, the fact is that He hears us and He answers it according to His will, according to His glory. See, this is a suffering world and suffering because of sin and rebellion against God. But God came to save this world and to heal this world because God loves this world. It's on this Palm Sunday that we consider this in a fresh way. The climax of Israel's history is when Jesus entered the world as Israel's king. And the way to understand Israel's history of suffering and that of its supreme representative, the Messiah, is to see God's longer and larger purposes in them And to see in them all the establishment of His worldwide healing sovereignty. So we should not be surprised when we learn that when God finally claims the nations as His own possessions and rescues them from their evil ways, the means by which He does it is through the sufferings of His people. Or as the story of the Gospels will show, the sufferings of His people's official, supreme, divinely appointed representative, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a great theme for us to consider today. God's worldwide healing sovereignty through the suffering ministry of His Son, our King. The text before us is one of the texts that we know of as a servant psalm. There are four servant songs in the prophet Isaiah. This is the last and the lengthiest of those four servant songs. There's been some debate about whether that servant is Israel, or is that servant the Messiah, Israel's representative? People from all walks, from conservative to liberals, have debated that point. But the short but not simple answer is that it includes both. 
Christ's sufferings and atonement for his bride is now united to his bride, and now she suffers in the world for its restoration and for its healing. In this song, we can clearly see the servant is Israel's official and chief representative, the Messiah, Christ Jesus as we know him today. And as we enter into the Holy Week on this Palm Sunday, we consider the climax of Christ's sufferings for his people and the world that he came to save. From his birth, Jesus suffered in this fallen world, living in perfect obedience to his Father's will in the midst of many temptations that would attempt to steer him off course. Jesus would be tempted to find an easier way. He would be tempted to claim all of the kingdoms in a manner that would not glorify God. But he stayed the course, and he was faithful and obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And now in his resurrection glory, he owns all of those kingdoms and is ruling and reigning over them, whether they be thrones that are visible or whether they be thrones invisible. He is over them all. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered, the Scripture tells us. And on this day we celebrate that which we now clearly see, but which was not then understood, that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, Israel's King. As he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey according to the prophet Zechariah, God would enter into his temple and vindicate all of those who came back to rebuild it because he said that he would come into his temple. And that he did in Jesus. And he would do what was needed to save and to heal this broken world. The prophetic song before us reveals that he would do that through suffering, but suffering that would have a joyous and victorious end in his glory. From Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13, we see in the latter part of that a foreshadowing of the exaltation of this servant, this suffering servant, that victory and strength would come in the most unlikely manner, in the most unsuspecting way. He turns the idea of ministry or service on its head as he was trying over and over to teach his disciples, and as we continue to try over and over to learn. The first will be last, the last first. Those who will be honored will be those who serve. We find in the first part of this servant song, our appraisal of this God and King. We see in the first portion of it, As he grows up, there's no form of comeliness. There's nothing here in his appearance by the outward man that is to be commended as a king, as the way we would see it. Nothing on the outside particularly stands out or is attracted to us 
regarding his strength or his perfection or the way that we would think of a king. We find in the third verse that we rejected him. It says he is despised and we are the ones who despised him. Where despised is the idea of looking down with someone on contempt. To belittle them. And that's how we saw our great king. We're so fickle that we shout hosannas on the one hand, and only three or so days later, we're crying crucify him. He's not what we imagine a strong leader to be. A big personality filled with charisma and strength was not how we saw this King of glory. Verse 4 shows us that our appraisal of Him was the opposite of what was true, however. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did a stricken Him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. This is how we saw Him. Well, in fact, he had God's favor. He had God's blessing. And he was accomplishing his Father's will perfectly. We were judging just the opposite. And see, things in this life are often not as they appear. Our appraisal should be made in faith and according to the truth. When he came, Israel had the truth and they had the way to to discern who this Jesus was. And of all people that should have accepted him and welcomed him with embrace, they were the ones who turned so quickly to reject him. And we find our identity in that lot of people. We see in verses 4 through 9 his suffering service for men. Surely He has borne our griefs. We find in these verses that His suffering was that which was bearing all of our problems. We have a great high priest today who has been touched with every one of our infirmities, yet without sin, so He can sympathize and come to our aid and know the struggles Because vicariously, He lived through them all. All of those things which He suffered are the consequences of our sins. And He bore them. All of the sicknesses, all of the sorrows, all of the pains, all of the griefs, all of the difficulties with death. We see Him weeping at Lazarus' death. We see Him compassionate for those who are sick. We see Him even compassionate for those who turn around like the rich young ruler and walk away from Him, not heeding what He had instructed. Here He was in verse 5 and 6, bearing our sins. He was wounded 
for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, which was due to us, was laid upon him. And it was that chastisement that would bring us the peace that we need, that we long for. It is by his wounds that we are healed. And then we find that beautiful picture here in probably the most clear and simple few words that you could have, the great vicarious atonement, the substitutionary penal atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of his people. That he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm reminded as he lives his life in this manner, as he considered the sufferings that he was called to, of how much injustice there is in the world, of how people treat each other, and we're prone to that ourselves. But this is illustrated all around us every day. It's kind of like the guy, you're driving down the interstate, and he cut me off. I slam my brakes on, and he turns around to yell at me as though I did something wrong. But see, that's the life that our Lord lived. We were the guilty ones, not him. Yet we are the ones casting the blame on him. We're the ones that are yelling at him. We're the ones that are finding fault with him. We esteemed him stricken and judged of God and someone that is that is unworthy. Yet he quietly endured the wrongs of injustice because this is exactly what he came to deal with and he would deal with it through suffering. We find in verse 6 and 7 that his silence reveals a voluntary submission and his loving character. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. The innocent being charged here with guilt and the guilt being cleared in their representative substitute. His silence reveals that this was something that he endured voluntarily even though the injustice was being cast at him, he endured it. He never lashed out. He never became defensive, although it would have been his right to do so. He quietly obeyed the will of his Father and yielded up perfect obedience in perfect submission from the inside to the out. And we've never seen anything like this that has ever walked the face of this world. We still have not seen anything like this. The character of Jesus makes him worthy to be our king. It wasn't the outward appearance that made him worthy. It's not that which mattered, but it was the character of the inner man, the very thing that he came to change in this world. He lived and he expressed and he gave example of. 
from the inside out. He came to change this world. We find in verses 8 and 9, he paid the ultimate price, death itself. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He made his grave with the wicked, but the rich in his death because he was innocent. We find how true and how clear and how crisp and how perfect was the prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He died though he was innocent. Yet there was no mistake for verse 10 declares that it pleased the Father for this to happen. This was the Father's will. Suffering of a father for a dying child. Which is worse? That of the father or that of the son? It was grievous for our Lord indeed, but it was grievous for the father and the spirits. Our great God suffered all three persons for you. He suffered tremendously for you. Because He loved you. And He wants you to experience glory. And so it pleased the Father. Not so much in the judgment that was going on. But for the results and all that it would bring. And we see the Father's vindication upon the great king, and how he honored him in verse 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, then he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So while it pleased the Lord to bruise him, it pleased the Lord to prosper him. We see God's great vindication upon Christ having been satisfied upon the penal atonement that He raised Him up on the third day being well satisfied with His Son in whom He was well pleased. The way we appraised Jesus was exactly the opposite way our Heavenly Father appraised Him. Because of the Son's willingness to love and suffer for what the Father loved, the Father vindicated Him. The Father would give the Son a seed, an offspring, a posterity, an inheritance of which we are now a part of that great gift of the Father to the Son. And as the Father has given to the Son, the Son has no wise cast out and has kept them all, kept us all in the great name of our God. We are the product of Christ's suffering. We are the Father's gift to the Son. And while He would suffer a cruel and dying death, He would also live in resurrection victory to a prosperous life. And He ever liveth today to save us and to the uttermost for all who call upon Him. For all who call upon Him in truth. This is the Christian life. The way our life was procured for us 
is the way we now have to follow in. And that is why Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself, and you're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to pick up your cross, and you're going to have to follow Him. That is, follow Him through the death and through the sufferings. That is the way of discipleship. And we must endure sufferings, but for a season, but we must endure them in order to enjoy the pleasures of God's hand. We must love what God loves, and we must be willing to suffer in this life for what God loves. Knowing that God will vindicate us, He will honor us, and in the last day He will raise us up, and you will see at that time His honor and His vindication for those who are faithful to the end. See, we follow the way of Christ. We love this world because God loved this world. We live for Christ because this is what He lived for. We grow in character in the inner man because that is his example that he has shown for us. And that is the way he, by the Spirit of God in power, is changing us to be into his likeness. And we die a death that pleases God. It's certainly not an atoning death like our representative can only do. But unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will not bring forth fruit. So we die in order to produce the fruit for the future generations. So how we live, how we suffer, and how we die is more transcendent than the 70, 80, whatever years God will give us here in this life. We find in verse 11 that God's righteous servant will be satisfied He will be able to see that all of his labors and sufferings were not in vain. And is that what the Apostle Paul continues to tell us? Stand fast. And be faithful. Endure. Knowing that your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. As we consider God's worldwide healing sovereignty through the suffering ministry of His Son, our King, we see ourselves in union with Christ as His body here on earth and by way of extension that the way to victory is through the cross. And the way to glory is through suffering. We should consider that we suffer for the world that Christ came to save. So while the world will not treat us justly, in love we should pray for the world. We willingly suffer for it. We long to see this world restored. It is not a life that we are to live here unto ourselves with one day thinking we will go away into heaven and be apart from this world forever. No, this is the place where God will bring heaven to earth, and He loves this earth so much that He will bring heaven down to it, and we have to have that perspective as we go and disciple the nations. The way of God to heal the nations is through suffering. Christ suffered for the nations. And now we are called to disciple those nations 
And to do so, it will require suffering as well. It will require endurance and patience. It will require a delay in gratification. It's hard to teach our common and current generation in America to delay gratification. But that's exactly the way of Christ. It is for the joy that was set before him on the other side that he endured the shameful death of the cross. Rather than seeing ourselves in a world worthy of God's judgment, waiting for His wrath to strike, I want to challenge you this day to see it, in fact, of a bigger picture of God's redeeming love to save this world and posture in your spirit to see the world through God's redemptive eyes. Yes, He will come to judge the world And that judgment is setting right all the things that are wrong here. But I'd like for you to see that in the bigger picture of what He is doing here in this world. And for the world He came to save through the sufferings of His Son. Know that there will be injustices in this world. There are injustices among all the nations. And our leaders. And the leaders of all the nations. But know that God has called us to disciple and to teach those nations to be obedient unto the gospel. And He has not given us an impossible task. He has given us a task that is sure to come to pass. And through the body of Jesus Christ, His church, here upon this earth, we are called and He has empowered us as He has now has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. He has now equipped us with the Spirit of God to be successful and to do exactly what He has called us to do until all of His enemies are placed under His feet and He delivers the kingdom up to the Father. <clears throat> be willing to suffer for a world that hates you, my people, in order to bring it to repentance. It is through the gentleness of Christ that He brings us to repentance. He's called us to suffer for this cause. And suffer we will. In Matthew 5, which we were looking at on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And He knew how to do that. That is not natural. That's not a part of our flesh. It's not how we were born. And we have to have the supernatural regeneration of the Spirit of God to be a new kind of human made into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ in order to do this. But this is what He's called us to do. There's a posture here that I'm hoping to communicate, a posture of the suffering servant, not an American individualist claiming our inalienable rights, but rather a child and a servant of God, no matter where you live and what country you inhabit, with the power of heaven to teach our nations and all nations to obey their king. And as the Lord's kingship was different from what they were expecting, so often it is today that the Lord's reign is often different from the way that many Christians think. God's people must be willing to love what God loves 
to live for what Christ lived for, to die if called upon, to die for what Christ died for and for his purposes. The Apostle Paul saw his mission and his calling in life when he was writing the Colossian church in verse 24 of chapter 1. He says, now I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. May we understand our mission in the world in this time in which we live, that we are here to be the light in the world. And through that light, it casts out darkness. We are here to be salt and preserve this world and to restrain evil and to bring the world under the submission of Christ. We serve a great king who is ruling over all the nations who will be successful And we see and will see that our labor is not in vain. That the risk we take for Christ's sake and the dangers we face will not have been in vain. And we will see the glory of God spread across the face of the earth as the waters do cover the sea. The power of the gospel. It is the power which will save the world. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you For the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his suffering death upon the cross to atone for the sins of his people, and that now through his people you are continuing the work that he has sent us here to do, to disciple the nations, even through sufferings and much tribulation, the kingdom of God will come, and it will grow as it has been doing for 2,000 years. And we pray today for all of those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for those in foreign lands who are giving their life for the sake of the gospel, we pray that where their blood is shed, that it would fertilize the soil of the gospel, that it would spring forth a harvest of fruit in the very place that they are persecuted. Teach us to think of these things in longer ways, in bigger ways than we often do in a very small portion of our life. And we pray that we would yield ourselves into the goodness of God that whatever you call us to do, that our labor would not be in vain, and that you would show us the satisfaction that our souls long for and the glorious life with our Savior. And we pray this in his glorious name. Amen.